Cast. This is our 31st episode, and it is probably the most special episode we've ever had. You know, we figured 31's a special number, gotta have a special show. Today, we are gonna be talking about probably the greatest living American filmmaker, Neil Breen. With me today, Jake Trapila. Hey, good evening, everyone. Hey. Uh, Stephen Coleman. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning. What the hell time is it? Different time zones. Oh, that's true. I'm closer to midnight. <laughs> there are times in which it is not fucking boring. Oh, and there's the voice of Adam Myros, who is, uh, he's trying to watch basketball while we do a podcast. He's doing the simultaneous shit. Yeah, I don't know. What kind of person are you? Wise to schedule a podcast in the midst of Game 7 of the NBA Finals. I, you know, I, I like, I like I how we didn't. Sports. <laughs> See? Sports are dumb. Well, not really, but uh, that's why we didn't even bother to tell Sean that we were doing this because, it, you know, I don't think we could separate him from Steph Curry. And we got Jack uh, Eason yeah, he, here. Rest assured he texted him and said, uh, fuck no. I, yeah, I well, figured as much. My rest is assured. <laughs> Jack, are you there? Did we lose you? Are you live? I'm, I'm still here. I'm hanging on in. Great. Just like your favorite movie, I'm still here. You don't know what time of day it is? No, couldn't. It's, I'd have to look out a window or it's something. It's a it's hot, steamy dungeon in my room. This is this is the sacrifices we make. We miss the NBA Finals. Uh, I sit in a room in 100-degree temperatures with uh, no windows open and no fan going. So We're also missing dads and grads right now, all of us. Oh, my God. Damn it. <laughs> oh, well. It's one of those days I'm glad I sprung for those over-the-year cans. It's just a joy to wear them right now. It is. It's, it's real great. I can just feel like the moisture pooling inside. <laughs> So good. So, so good. My God. Guys, why the hell are we talking about Neil Breen today? Yeah, why? <laughs> Do we not have an answer for this? I mean, in general, not like why are we doing this right now, but uh, why did we decide on a Breen cast? Has the time finally come for someone to really, you know, sit down and pick apart this master filmmaker's work? Well, yeah, he, he does have a new film out. It's slowly circulating the country, and I think since we all seem to be enamored with his work, now would be an ideal time to discuss who he is and what he's done. Yeah, I think he's he's probably on the verge of being a Tommy Wiseau-level figure. The problem mm-hmm. is, from what I gather about Neil Breen, and if you haven't seen the masterful work of Neil Breen, why don't you hit pause right now? Hop on YouTube where someone has just uploaded all of his movies and no one cares. Watch this guy's stuff. It's it's otherworldly. There's some fan supercuts too if you want to get to the good stuff. But he's just he's the best kind of bad filmmaker if we can call him that. He's he's the best kind of outsider filmmaker simply because he does not give a shit about what anybody thinks, and he's completely committed to his asinine vision of what a movie should be. And it, it works on some weird level. It's like if you gave a movie camera to someone's dad who was rich, <laughs> and they had no idea how to make a movie, and they just shot something. That's pretty much it. I think, I think rich might be an overstatement. Yeah, I guess... It has, uh, has some I, cash, has has a little little uh, movie making nest egg to dig into, yeah. Because these aren't these aren't exactly high budget affairs. No. And... Shut up! 
What the hell was that? <laughs> Sorry, that was my text going on. Oh, God. <laughs> your, your text is, what is that, a domestic dispute? <laughs> no, it's the guys that sing uh, Shut the Fuck Up really loud and oh, funny. Oh, okay. All right. That's fine. You sure you're not, like, beating someone or something? No, absolutely not. Oh. That's just the kind of thing a person would, wouldn't admit to on a podcast if they were beating someone. That's probably no. true. Hey, happy Father's Day, everyone. <laughs> That's right. I wish Neil Breen was my dad. In fact, if, if you're listening right now, you probably had a shitty Father's Day with your dad. You probably went and got brunch or something stupid. Fuck brunch. Go sit down with dad and watch Fateful Findings, the Neil Breen movie. Jack, how, how would you describe Neil Breen to someone who wasn't familiar with his work? Uh, that's, that's, a really, that's a really good question. I've, I've been, I mean, it's, it's difficult where you start with Neil Breen. I would suggest that he is the prototypical example of what happens when you're able to make movies pretty much on your own because of modern technology and you just basically you get your own camera your computer you can just edit it you shoot it and uh, you basically just make a movie completely in a vacuum almost but um that's uh, that's neil breen is is the he seems to be the 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 great example of this is a man who writes, directs, produces, caters, scores, does everything in his movies uh, on minimal budget, and you know that's it's in a way it's incredibly admirable. But then you watch the films. <laughs> well, he definitely writes. Oh, he writes a lot. He writes a <laughs> lot, and and, and he really uh, explores the same themes over and over again too. And he has no mm-hmm. idea of narrative structure. I think it's just like, I have this idea, this is how I communicate it. So if you're looking for films with a lot of exposition, mm-hmm. this is your guy. Yeah, yeah, see, I feel like this is what separates him from like handing your dad the reins to a, a film would be, at least my dad, he's something of a technician, you know, he would at least uh, take the time to figure out how to make a movie, you know, to, the basic ground rules. Whereas the reason Breen is, is so magical is he... He certainly has no interest in those ground rules, and uh, yeah, <laughs> and and then his movies are the result of that, and, and I think that's that's a really good point, and I agree with Jack too that Neil Breen as a filmmaker can only exist in the 21st century where you can get you know you can shoot a movie on just about anything cheap HD camcorder, uh, it's easy to get a hold of editing software, you can do all this stuff yourself, you can be Neil Breen, and I think. We're going to enter into this golden era of like outsider postmodern movie makers just making complete diarrhea for us to digest. And Neil Breen is spearheading that movement of digesting diarrhea. <laughs> just soupy poo. Soupy, soupy poo, spooning it in. Yeah, he's, oh, Jesus. He's just, he's such a strange guy. And I'm not just talking about his movies or his demeanor because those are both very strange, but even looking at him. It looks like there's something wrong, and <laughs> that really comes out in his movies because he is the hero in everything that he does. He writes, directs, produces, and stars in all of these movies, and all of his movies basically star the same character who is kind of like an anti-government outsider guy uh, who's sick of big business and you know works as a secret agent hacking things. Yeah, and he is the best at fucking everything. Yeah, except except in that one case where he rolls it back. It's like, okay, so maybe I'm not, you know, a techno genius, you know, fighting the government. In one film, he just is God. 
So that's <laughs> reins back in a little well, bit. All the other films where he's a technical genius, he has to have multiple laptops surrounding him. Oh yeah, he yeah. he definitely that's, has. That's, yeah, that's how technical geniuses roll. And uh, cell phones. He's he either a has. hacker or Jesus. That's that's it. Yeah, pretty much. And there's a fine, a, a deceptively fine line between the two. We've come to find. Yeah, usually both. I'd say. Yeah, and. <laughs> I was kind of excited to see him use the same HP laptop and double down as I had as a undergrad. That was fun. <laughs> it's exciting. Yeah. Wow. You and Neil Breen have a lot more in common than you thought, huh? There mm-hmm. should be a program to donate old laptops to the next Neil Breen production. Oh, my God. That'd be amazing. <laughs> You'll need them. <laughs> he is always smashing laptops. I, I, we should start really a, start that. Yeah, we'll call it Laptops for Auteurs, and it'll, it'll just donate away. That's we're definitely doing this. I'm gonna make a GoFundMe page and like a promotional video for this. This is gonna be huge. That's that's the solution. Well, I actually I have a clip from Faithful Findings. Uh, this is actually a clip from a clip. It's during the spinach scene, which we can talk about that in a minute. <laughs> but I think this kind of sums up really well just how Neil Breen sees himself as a character in his movies. I've hacked into the most secret government and corporate secrets. The most secret. And and this is this is something that he repeats in his movies. He said "secret" three times in one sentence. (laughs) In one sentence, most secret secrets. (laughs) It's wild because he writes things like this, where you know he says "secret" three times in one sentence to prove a point, and then he also does this thing throughout all of his movies, but specifically in *Fateful Findings*. This is really bad. He repeats everything he says like two or three times, so it almost feels like. You know, like, if this was any other movie, it would be like the actor was doing the line a couple of times, and then they were going to take the best cut, but Neil Breen keeps all the cuts, and it just keeps going. And it's really weird. And then, of course, in in this scene, it's this weird... uh, Can I I call it a love scene? Is it a love scene? I'm not sure. But again, this, this is the weirdness of Neil Breen, where after he gives his speech about how he's hacking into secret government computers, he's got his uh, lady friend with him that he's telling this to and a plate of just plain spinach, like he's a bunny rabbit or something. And the camera keeps, like, panning over the spinach, and then in the throes of passion, like, the spinach just spills all over the table, and it's weird. And he does this thing where he's, like, eating it and, like, being sexy about eating it? I don't know. <laughs> it's 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 really uncomfortable to watch. But that's, that's Neil Breen. Yeah, there, there's a lot of uncomfortable sexual tension in all of his films. Um Particularly uh, his second film, uh, I Am Here, Now. I feel there has to be a dramatic pause because he's like four dots, like n- right. an ellipsis plus one yeah, dot. it's not an ellipsis. <laughs> it's, an, it's, it's extra pause. That's very true. Extra pause for, for I Am Here Now, which is his second film. And, the, and that's the one where he casts himself as God returning to Earth to judge humanity because business is bad. Capitalism you know, is bad. You know, extra pause sounds like how you would describe the pacing of all of his films. They're all on extra pause. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's actually true. That's that's very true. There is certainly for for the the breakneck pacing of say his debut Double Down, which is a a hard-hitting techno thriller that involves him as a as a hacker trying to evade all of the governments of the world because he's he's hacked all of the governments and they're all trying to kill him and i mean it's it's a very high stakes kind of premise and it's basically just him sitting in the desert for most of it talking to himself and walking over rocks now and then yeah so yeah it's it's there's not like i can't think of any major chase scene or really 
kind of snappily edited sequence in a Neil Breen film. Snappily edited. <laughs> <laughs> snappily edited. It's, it's mostly, yeah. uh, shall we call the pacing stately? <laughs> stately. <laughs> no, he doesn't understand how Glacial? montage works or anything like that. Yeah, it's, there, there really isn't any pacing at all. It's just all over the place. And Double Down, his first movie, he said in interviews before that, you know, he never went to film school. He just wanted to make movies. No. And, yeah, can you believe that? He never went to film school. Uh, I also believe he's never actually kissed a woman except for the ones that he pays on his movies. Uh, but he said that Double Down was his film school. Like, he just said, I want to make a movie. I'm going to make a movie. And he made it. And I think that's why Double Down might be the most difficult to watch Neil Breen movie and yet the most rewarding, perhaps? Well, it does seem like a movie made by a guy who's always wanted to make a movie, but just has the story and doesn't have a script. So he just films the story. And even even story might be a bit of a reach. It's more of right. like or I just have a an concept, idea. an idea. Yeah, it is a premise, primarily. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. What I feel with Double Down is that I feel he did he wrote extensively for it because Double Down, like I, when it started, I actually was wondering if at any point he would ever say anything like on set can't sound because mm-hmm. like the first ten fifteen minutes of it is voiceover pretty much. I was like, is the whole film just going to be voiceover of? shots of him walking around and eventually he does speak on camera but it takes a while and the film is like it's just lengthy monologues it's almost entirely just neil breen talking to himself about the scenario he's in which involves as said all the government's trying to kill him because he's a lead hacker it's it's interesting because it almost functions as an anti-action film. You know, a name like Double Down and the basic premise of, oh, a secret agent is trying to stop the government or something and everyone's out to get him. A, a normal movie would kind of cut around all this mundane bullshit and to get to the action scenes. But Neil Breen doesn't really have action scenes, so all we get is the mundane in-between stuff. It's not the, uh, normal. The cheese and the bacon between the two uh, chicken breasts, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's double that's down. <laughs> it's like double down. I I feel like I went insane when I was watching this movie. Like it's well, let's not forget that it it's probably comprised of I'm going to say a solid forty percent of ridiculous stock footage. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And it's a testament to your director when he can't even have all the footage be shot by himself that it's his film school that 40 percent of it comes from somewhere else and it's not even like it's all nonsense too it'd be like a, a stock ticker and like shots of an astronaut it's like what, what the hell is this even doing in this fucking movie shots of dudes in a control room from like probably 10 15 years before the movie was even conceived of yeah, yeah. none of it matches up at all it's just a huge mess and uh, yeah, there's lots of like las vegas tourism bureau like footage oh, uh and not only las vegas tourism bureau but he he intersplices las vegas footage with New York City, like you can, you can clearly see that it's New York in the background. In well, some, and to side, be but, fair, though, New York, New York is like the closest thing to New York. That's New York, true. New York, the casino in very Vegas. True. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but it, <laughs> <laughs> the, 
I would, I would definitely say because I was thinking about this when I watched. Um, because just earlier this week I watched I Am Here Now, which was the mm. uh, his second film. It said, and it it did occur to me at the time that I always always think of the Alfred Hitchcock quote, where Hitchcock famously said that drama is life with all the dull bits cut out. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to that's not what Neil Breen thinks drama is. Clearly, his yeah. his drama is uh, life with all the life removed and a lot of dull bits curiously remaining <laughs> it's i i can't even like I, sorry to go back to double down but it's like what how many times in the film does he wake up next to his car in the middle of the desert like I, i'd have to put it at probably around 20 times just a series of events will occur all of a sudden it cuts to him laying outside of his car in the desert it's impossible to grasp if any time has passed if any of it's actually occurring or if it's some delusion, it, it's all interspliced with this weird mysticism of him, like, running through fields. And I, I guess what's supposed to be significant imagery is just a fucking laugh. And, man, it is such a disorienting thing to watch. Like, I, I couldn't tell you the runtime of Double Doubt. It feels like it was about six hours, but in the best <laughs> possible way. Yeah, it's it, – yeah, I felt like I had just, like – watch workmeister harmonies and satan tango back to back but it's like now this was a brisk 84 minutes (laughs) it's but it's it's taxing i was texting you myros while i was watching it and i was like holy shit i've only been watching this for 45 minutes and i feel like i've spent an entire lifetime in front of my tv screen watching this it's insane it almost reminds me of like harmony corinne's spring breakers where there's lots of repeated dialogue and it kind of like overstimulation and repetitiveness are like utilized in a fashion of that film to, to actually say something. Breen's kind of utilizing it because he doesn't know any better, but it's weird how it has a similar disorienting well, just, and unsettling effect. It just strikes me as somebody who's seen a few movies, probably a few art house films and just feels like this is what I need to do. Like I got that the whole time watching Double Down. Yeah, well, he like, says he's no seen concept all. of what art is, but just like, well, it needs to be long. It needs to be boring. Things need to mean something, even if I don't know what they mean. Here we go. Yeah, I mean, he's he said Jake didn't he say this in in the interview with you where he said he's bas- he's seen all of the movies, but he's been influenced by none of them. Yeah, that was the very first question I asked him was, <laughs> what are your, some of your favorite films or influences? And he says, you know, I get asked that a lot. And uh, the truth is that nothing really influences me. You know, I've seen them all. I know them, I know them all, but, you know, <laughs> I'm above them. And, and I'm like, okay. So he's basically said that he's seen every important film that you can see, but his work does not seem to be informed by any of it. Well, I would certainly agree with the latter half of that, but I... <laughs> I don't know how many movies he's seen. <laughs> to, yeah, to to that end, because I because I feel you know if if there's any movie that it reminded me, particularly say Double Down, and uh, to a certain degree, Faithful Findings. There's a certain overlap. So Faithful Findings has this like two tiered narrative, which is extra confusing because the two narratives never really comfortably align with each other. There's like a techno hacking element, and then there's also a kind of a mystical magical element. Mm. Uh, Double Down is straight up just it's it's technical technical kind of computer stuff. And it really reminds me a little bit of the net, the Sandra Bullock nineties movie. It's <laughs> kind of obviously that movie is a lot more competently made and has a lot more, you know, action sequences that are in a traditional mode but it just it seems to be a film that has decided to be about technology but has not 
done any research to back that up because that would seem pointless, I guess. But, mm-hmm. you know, they went the other way. I guess if the, if the net is just action movie that just happens to be about something vaguely technological, Breen's films are about something else, mostly his very odd social critiques, uh, which I guess we'll get into in a little bit. Um, and it's it's basically the techno- the technological aspect of that is just doesn't really intermingle with that at all. He just because at the end of the day, as we've said, all he does to get across his his ideas is he just plain says them later on. Like at certain points in the movie, he'll pretty much just tell you what his movie is about. Mm-hmm. Well, it helps because if he did, I sure wouldn't have any damn idea what his movies were about. But. <laughs> That's very true. Which uh, actually, oh, go ahead, Myros. Oh, I was gonna say like between somewhere between Double Down and Fateful Findings, it seems like. He must have seen Lost Highway and was like, well, that's great. Let's do that. So he could just make it even more confusing somehow by imitating like a Lynchian type of structure with all these like shadowy figures and like, I don't even, there's like some mystical object in Fateful Findings that he keeps like encountering and Jesus Christ. There's a mystical object in Double Down, which I, and this is another thing too, that Double Down and Fateful Findings, they're shared lineage here uh there's there's a mystical rock in both of those movies in double down it randomly cures cancer so oh yeah i forgot cool. about the cure yeah. cancer rock cure cancer because rock. it played zero role in the film at all it's nope. just like one scene in the day yeah. i didn't even know who those people were i thought they were his family but then there was that scene where like his ghost parents were like walking by the river near the hoover dam and so that those were his parents i i didn't know who that family was with the cancer kid but the other thing is too is when he's talking about his his dead fiance there's all these flashbacks to them when they were kids because another thing from fateful findings neil breen has this obsession with like okay love is the strongest when you are like when you fall in love when you're like 12 and then you stay together forever <laughs> like that's that's his oh yeah I almost forgot about that. Which is wait, they don't stay together forever. They meet randomly, like thirty years later. Yeah, but, well, but I mean, for her, it's like fifteen years later, and he's for him, it's eighty stage. years later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, but either way, it's like their their love is is like it it goes beyond all time. Like it's it's this timeless, beautiful thing, and that's his idea of love. And it's a little creepy. It's even creepier in Double Down. Which, you know, there's there's a couple of questions here that I feel like we have to answer about Double Down because out of all of his movies, this one raises the most and, and probably answers the least. Uh, first off, can anyone explain to me what Neil Breen is doubling down on? Uh, corruption? <laughs> being bad? Is that... Anthrax? <laughs> he is doubling down on anthrax. He buys a large <laughs> brick of anthrax. <laughs> I I just, I don't understand where the name came from i can only assume it was named after the fast food sandwich or he just thought it sounded cool that's does it predate the double down though doesn't it yeah i would think yeah that's true what if well he does live in vegas maybe he was walking by a casino in a blackjack table and so he said i'll double down and that's where the inspiration struck yeah i it guess it's probably high vegas. Stakes. <laughs> mm-hmm. high stakes high risk i mean to, yeah. to be fair what findings in fateful findings are fateful yeah, it's there's complication. I mean, his his titles are evocative of things that his films are not entirely evocative of themselves. Wait, I figured it out. Satellite dishes. Ah, doubling down on satellite because he does. Right. He has, he he has, has two, two of them. Mm-hmm. He, he doubles down on laptops too. He has at least four. 
Yeah. He had he two, and then he doubled down. Uh, yeah, double you got to tie down. a satellite dish to the front and back of your car for optimal hookup to the internet. He certainly doubled down on a Costco pack of tuna. That's for sure. Oh my god! We, let's <laughs> oh, talk about the tuna the, really quick. The shot of the tuna falling into his lap—the first time they introduced <laughs> the tuna in the film. Yeah, <laughs> just the concept of introducing tuna. <laughs> Can we? I'm actually. I'm going to play the tuna scene right now. <laughs> I'm going to play it for uh, for the audience here. So this is the beginning of the movie during this like 20 minute like monologue that he gives. And he's talking about how he, you know, hacks into secret computers and blah, blah, blah. And then he just briefly says, I don't even stop for food. I just eat cans of tuna. And he just slops tuna all over his pants. This is that. I don't need much to live on anymore. I just eat tuna out of the can and live in the car. That's just like I literally tap into any government secret system by way. He drops a lot of tuna on his dick. Yeah, he almost gets into a car accident at one point because he drops the tuna. Secret system. Yeah. That's everything the- I need is always with me. And why why does he have to eat in the car? He spends so much time sitting around the desert. I mean, it takes how long to eat a, tan, a can of tuna? What uh, two minutes? Yeah, you would think. I, yeah, if you're really into it, yeah, double down on that pretty quickly. I well, just, it, for being the setup being that he's like the most powerful man on earth, that why in the hell does he live in his car and eat canned tuna all day? I, doesn't make any damn sense well, at sent, all. They sent hitmen after him all the time, and he lives off the grid, so he you can't. You think he'd have like some sort of Faraday cage bunker or something, not a goddamn piece of shit car and some canned tuna? It's true. It's not even a very nice car, is it? No, no, but he does steal a Ferrari later because anything can be stolen in today's world with electronic locks. Because it was a surprisingly affordable rental for two of his films. (laughs) God. Yeah, so the the tuna, and it is important that we talk about how he introduces the concept of the tuna. This is one of the, the only, like, consistent things in this movie, but the tuna cans are always around. And my favorite part is there's this scene towards the end where he's setting up his satellites or whatever, and he's got the trunk open, and he's digging around uh, to get his magic cancer rock, which he hid in an empty can of tuna. Inside of his trunk, there are literally dozens and dozens of empty cans of tuna fish. So that raises two important questions. One, does Neil Breen and his car just smell like tuna because he's got, like, festering tuna water cans in his... (laughs) Uh, trunk, and two. Why do you keep the cans? Why don't you well, throw out the tuna it's the cans? The bachelor lifestyle. Well, I feel the second part. It's clear that uh, Neil Breen. I think the a consistent theme through his cinema is both a, a, a avowed distrust of the government, um, a use of technology to fight the government, but also a kind of an ecological message. His films are very much into sustainable energy and preserving the environment. So I feel if he has to live out of his car in the Las Vegas desert, he's not going to litter. And I think that's why his trunk might be full of tuna. That's true. So he's just going to hold on to it until he finds a recycling bin. Until, yeah, until, he, can, until he can hack the, the city dump and <laughs> deposit his tuna cans. The, uh, the hanging on to garbage actually appears in Pass Through um, Along with um, something else I just forgot. But at one point in Pastor, he meets this comely young woman and invites her to sleep in this filthy trailer he has. And she's like, I'm not going to sleep in there. It's dirty. 
And he goes, okay, and then he crawls in on all floors into the trailer, and he just starts throwing all of the cans in the trailer out the window, and then he goes, there, I cleaned it for you. What? <laughs> that man must get so much tail. One of, the, one of the greatest things you'll ever see. Like, he throws this whole wad of toilet paper out of the window. Oh, my God. <laughs> Whoa. Like, used toilet paper? <laughs> no, no, just like his roll of toilet paper. Oh, Jesus. Uh, like, he's oh. somehow shitting in there or something, I don't know. I, he could. He doesn't want to leave a trail. Otherwise, he has to live off the grid. Yeah. Oh, my God. See, one of the questions that doubled down for me was, did he actually cure anyone of cancer? The, the characters never even return in the film. He just, like, offhandedly makes a bold claim that he has cured someone of cancer. Yeah, I know. And he doesn't, he doesn't know at all, either, because they're just at the dinner table, and he uses his magic rock. And then he's talking to someone who's just like, yeah, I cured her of cancer with my uh, It just seems like a brag that there's no evidence provided to the audience at all. Exactly. actually occurring. <laughs> I don't believe for a second that Neil Breen can cure cancer. I mean, no. maybe. You know, you never know. Uh, but Double Down also has my favorite Neil Breen noise, which is, uh, which is this. Hold on. So, if you if you're playing along at home, what do you what do you think that was? I'll give it to you guys one more time here, and uh, you can tell me <laughs> if you can figure it out. <laughs> what is happening to Neil Breen in this moment? Is he hitting the nut button? <laughs> That's what, it, and the face that he makes too. It looks like he just had a very painful orgasm. <laughs> like he, he climaxed and then just like shot barbed wire out of his dick. <laughs> <laughs> Came and passed a kidney stone at the same time. <laughs> that that's it. That has to be it. Uh, this is, that that is the noise that he makes when his girlfriend is murdered in Double Down, as he holds her lifeless body, which is really lacking oh, a bullet. Right, bullet the hole. weird pool scene where you see his scrotum. Yeah, you oh get lots of bugs. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. That's right. This uh, this follows suit, suit with uh, like Tommy Wiseau's The Room as another infamously bad movie. And this uh, there seems to be some complex among the the independent outsider film director, the the auteur who does everything. That there has to be nudity involving them specifically in their cinema. Um, and Neil Neil Breen follows through on that in uh, both Double Down and in Fateful Findings. Uh, we get tasteful shots of his rear end uh, at certain points and in double down as jake alluded to slightly more if you're willing to interpret <laughs> i i didn't know if i saw his balls or not so i actually paused it and i rewound it and i just i like walk over the tv and i'm like oh those are his balls is <laughs> <laughs> a like paint a picture for the audience of what neil breed looks like i don't he looks as if like gary shane like had been lying in said pool for like a, a solid six hours <laughs> It does look like an emaciated Gary Shandling. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, in my piece online, I called him, he's 50-year-old Patrick Swayze crossed with a Vulcan. I was just about to say, he looks like a fucking Vulcan. That is, yeah. That's exactly it. it. It's like the angular sideburns and his eyebrows and the, the narrow eyes. Just all, it all comes together as this like Vulcan-like face. 
Mm-hmm. And and you'll notice, uh, like, I mean, if you go to his IMDb page and just look at Neil Breen, and he's he's directed four films now, and I'm just looking at the posters are lined up on IMDb for what he's known for, and they have Fateful Findings, Double Down, and I Am Here Now, and all three of them have the exact same shot of his face used in the posters. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, he changed that's up like the his... pass-through. It, it's from the other side, so... But that's another three thing, in a row. where, like, these, these postmodern bad movie auteurs are using like their own headshots as the poster for the film like the the room is that why so photo and all of these uh, neil neil breen's films have his face on it yeah and it really is it's just it's just a uh it's just like an eight by ten photo of himself that he had professionally taken and decided to maximize the use of so it's just photoshopped into everything in a weird like floaty head kind of way too it's it's really creepy uh uh, just a side comment for those of you worried. Uh, there are no tasteful man bun shots in Pass Through. Mm, that's he, that's good to yeah. know. Skimped out on the nudity on do, that one. Do we get any? Do we get any uh, female side boob? Because that's no. that's where he also goes. <laughs> no, no side boob, but um, one shot of bareback, which is also Ooh. another favorite thing of his. Yeah, he does like that. He well, does. that is like the, one of the great uh, complexities of him as a filmmaker. Is that he seemingly casts directly from like a directory of like pornographic actresses, but does not have the funds to actually get them to do nudity at any point? Well, they no, you the, got everyone has their own interests. Russ Meyer had breasts, Tarantino does feet, and Neil Brain does backs. That's and they all have the <laughs> baby got back. These are all like right. uh, sub sub cinemax uh, porn actresses uh, as far as like ability to emote in any fashion. Yeah, the weird thing is, I don't think any of them have done porn, but they all look like they were like that's where they were sourced from. It's like there's a look that he he finds with with his actresses with most of them, except Faithful Findings has a broader range. It certainly got a few women like that, but it also has getting back to your David Lynch comparison. It's got like an Eastern European actress, which you know feels like maybe an Inland Empire tie-in, uh, but it isn't obviously. But I don't you know it just that I, I actually had the same feeling of this this kind of David Lynchian kind of element because Fateful Findings is definitely mysterious in the way that a David Lynch movie is mysterious except that unlike a David Lynch movie it's mysterious because he didn't really write the script very well yeah it kind of makes me wonder if he cast the woman in Fateful Findings specifically because she's like got that Eastern European thing going on or did she just take the job because she had a very loose grasp on the English language and couldn't really understand the script and just was like, oh, I'll be in a movie? <laughs> I, it's it's tough to say. Like, if if you don't know who Neil Breen is, like, I would be in a Neil Breen movie, The Drop of a Hat. Like, I that that would be a dream come true for me. But if you're just some random trying to make it actor or actress, specifically how, actress, <laughs> specifically actress. How do you find yourself in a position where you're like, yeah, this is a thing I'm going to do? Is is there any conceivable scenario? Like, I I don't know. That woman has a special breed of anti-chemistry with Breen as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, their relationship is failing. It sure is. It is just, like, painful to watch them, like, come into physical contact at any point. But but he is understanding in Faithful Finding. I mean, there's there's an understanding of I guess tropes of other cinema, of other kind of genre cinema, and that he has this failing relationship with his wife. But it's fine because there's another younger, kind of hotter girl that he met as a child, who's obviously his true beloved, and he's just going to meet her anyway. So it's kind of like 
it's fine at that point. And it's kind of like a real solid action trope where, you know, you're not, you know, when, where your marriage, your relationship fails for whatever reason. Normally it's because your wife gets killed, but I guess in this case it could be, you know, drug addiction. Um, and, and it's just like, and they just get replaced straight up. It's like, it's, it's like the universe is okaying this kind of transition of partners where you're just like, yeah, we're done. So can we talk about that opening scene of Fateful Findings where the two kids are saying goodbye to each other and Neil Breen seems to have cast two kids who have never waved before in their life? (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit, yes. Yes, oh my god. So, yeah, I... (laughs) Where do we start with that? I feel feel like Breen has... It's almost like they, they talk about the cinema of like robert bresson that he he, one of the things he did uh, and bresson is like a really famous formalist film director considered one of the great film directors one of the things he did was he made his actors repeat do takes over and over and over and over again until it became robotic that was part of what he did and it was this idea that it created this kind of weird uh atmosphere in his films this very detached unusual atmosphere um and it feels like Neil Breen, and, and talking to, to Steve's point earlier about how it feels like he's always repeating himself as if it's just multiple takes within one take. He's not even bothering to edit them out. It, it feels like maybe this is his thing. He just gets people to just do stuff over and over again until they forget how they're even supposed to do it in the first place. And then that's the shot he uses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wonder, wonder if he knows anything about child labor laws. Because with film productions, you can't have kids that young on a set for more than 30 minutes. But... <laughs> I don't think he followed that rule at all. Well, Actually, I'm willing to bet that he shot all their scenes in 30 minutes and just used whatever he had. <laughs> I've, I have a feeling the set happens to be, for, for Faithful Findings, the set is almost certainly Neil Breen's house. So, you know, you just have them over for, for a party or whatever and mm. kind of shoot around that. They can go into another room for a while and then they're not on set anymore. They're, they're elsewhere. I wonder if Neil Breen's got his SAG my, card. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of, of Faithful Findings in early on, it, one of the first things that happens in Faithful Findings after the, the children with their odd waving is that Neil Breen gets in an accident. Oh, no, he gets hit by a car in a very <laughs> jarring, violent fashion. Oh, my God. Car. <laughs> and, uh, and he has to go to the emergency room. He has to, obviously, because he's been, he's been grievously injured. And they take him to uh, the ICU, basically, and he's hooked up to a bunch of machines and everything. But it's this may be the first ICU I've ever seen that has carpet in it, which would seem a bad idea. And weirdly, it's the same carpet that's in his own living room later in the film. So that's, that's a little bit odd. And it looks like there might be a closet door next to, next to the gurney. Maybe that's uh, like an Easter egg. Yeah, with, with the camera really, all, like the camera, at one point on the camera tilts up. It starts like near the floor and tilts up. I believe, I can't remember if it's to reveal the, the lady doctor maybe, but like the camera is like, it's got this really awkward tightness to the tilt. And I think it's because he can't move the camera anymore to the side because <laughs> it would reveal probably a slatted kind of cupboard oh, door. <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm laughing just thinking about the car accident because the way it's staged, <laughs> he's hit by a car, but he's like bending over his cell phone, which he dropped while he was talking on. So he's hit by this bent over position, <laughs> but his body just like moves really fast, rapidly and like laterally just to the right. So it looks like he just <laughs> scoots off screen. 
<laughs> that was actually that was the moment that I fell in love with Neil Breen when I saw that, and I was just like, "Oh my god, this is it!" I, I haven't seen Pass Through because unfortunately, Pass Through is still percolating through the world, uh, so I need to I need to catch it. But I would say that the car accident scene in Fateful Findings may be the most audacious shot in Neil Breen's entire cinematographer oh, entire ju- filmography. Just you wait. Uh, Pass Through has a has a drone cam in it. Oh, Neil yeah. Breen brought about a drone. He has I a thought, drone. I thought anything involving Neil Breen shooting something is surely drone cam. <laughs> no. yeah. Well, it's good that he's upgraded his camera for pass-through to a GoPro. I mean, you know. It's, it was it's, just a matter of time. We just need That's to like the pool our optimism game. vaccine money together and just fly him to some Midwest location for a screening. Oh, God. Yeah. Let's just all flight yeah, in hotel. As, as he reprimanded Jake uh, later for, for not really understanding his film, for not really really giving credence to the symbolism that his films are rife with, I mean, I think we, we've got to understand that we may not be qualified to even talk about his cinema. Yeah. <laughs> Just wait till he hears this piece of shit. Oh, God, I don't think he's going to listen to this. Well, and if he I'm, does, I don't think he'll be very happy. The, the thing is, you know, okay, so he's a little creepy, and his movies are not conventionally good, but i got to say, I love the man. There's something special about him. And creepy it, and he's kooky. Well, you know, you got to think of movies aren't on like a straight line with you know good movies at Is one that end. An and family reference? <laughs> I think so. I believe yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> movies movies don't exist on this like you know linear plane where you got good movies on one side and bad movies on the other. It's almost like a it's like a curve, and if you go beyond bad into this other realm, you start to wrap around towards good and and brilliant, and that is. The realm that Neil Breen lives in, thank God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. certainly, I it's I'm looking forward to pass through when I have a chance to see it. As much as as tedious as his films can be, as as just slow and confusing as they often are, I mean, they certainly are oddly riveting in their own way, um, and they reward. I feel right down to the end credits, particularly for something like Faithful Findings, one of my favorite things in credits for any movie ever is that in Faithful Finding he has a bunch of, a bunch of credits for like companies like uh, um, like Lighten and Films LLC and the B&B effects studio for special makeup effects and so he's all these kind of like eats and eats craft services like these just credits, <laughs> credits, credits which are clearly I mean he these aren't real companies. They've all got really, really stupid names. And it's fair enough. So he's, he's fluffing out his credits. But then at the end of the credits for Fate Findings, he actually puts in a caption that says, any of the above listed companies in the credits with an N or a B, which is Neil Breen, in the name are fictitious. This work was actually done personally by Neil Breen. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. That's so, incredible. That's, that's an amazing thing to consciously put in the credits to your own film. It's like it's like a joke, but then he explains the punchline at the end. That's fucking beautiful. That's that's so Neil Breen. It's that's it. I mean, anyone could tell, but he still tells you, and that's kind of how all of his films work. It's kind of like you could probably figure out what was happening to some degree, but he's going to tell you anyway, and he's probably going to tell you more than once. Yeah, he's just repeating it nonstop. <laughs> you get it? He does it at the end of Pass Through too. The exact same thing. Like craft services was by NBN services, all that is what NBN craft services. That serves just... for craft services. <laughs> I was just thinking like like cheese sandwiches, like just Wonder Bread and, and some Velveeta. <laughs> <laughs> That's the vegetarian option. Neil Breen brings you a plate of plain spinach. <laughs> I wonder. He does his own stunts too. I'm sure he 
hurled a couple of laptops in his films and a couple of cell phones. Um, so that's that's something. Oh my god, there's a scene in Pass Through. So part of Pass Through is there's these kids that are like researching this astronomical event that's going to happen in the desert sometime soon. And it's three children, and they're consulting with this old guy who's in a hospital bed, which is, you know, supposed to be in a hospital, apparently, but it's just in his bedroom. Um, and so they go out to the desert with this old man in a wheelchair, and these two kids have to push an old man in a wheelchair while the third one carries his oxygen tank. And it's one of the best things I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. Is is the, is the wheelchair the same one as in I Am Here Now, that there's a man, an old man in a wheelchair, and he, like, cures him? And the man, like, because he's God, and he cures, there's an old man in a wheelchair, and he... he the man stands up and walks because he it, doesn't need the wheelchair anymore. And then the wheelchair <laughs> magically disappears. It has to be. It has to be. The, uh, and the thing is, they're in the desert, too. So the kids are trying to push this full-grown man over, like, rocky terrain through the desert. And one of them is dragging along his oxygen tank. Um, if, yeah. For fans of Double Down, also, his vest with all the medals on it makes it come back, too. Oh, that's awesome. A little yeah. Easter egg there for the fans. Thanks, Neil Breen. Yeah. So I think I just had a revelation about something that was confusing me. A, a fateful finding? Uh, a fateful finding, from fateful findings, in all honesty. Because it features very prominently when he's hit by the car. It's a Rolls Royce that, that hits him. And uh, this is kind of what led me to think, oh, this is like an independently wealthy guy just making a film. And, uh, you know, one of the major uh, side plots is his buddy is uh, constantly working on a Ferrari, which is... This whole illusion of his wealth was was uh, pulled right out from under me when I watched uh, Double Down because there's a scene that takes place at a rental lot that prominently features both of those vehicles. Uh, so I was like, why on earth is a man who so abhors greed and consumerism featuring these uh, big, uh, I don't know, symbols of wealth in his film so prominently? Like, is that a really uh, useful way to spend your very limited budget? But then it just dawned on me. Ah, see, I, I can see what Breed's going for here because you know that guy's marriage fell apart. He was more concerned with that that uh, big shiny car than his wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I suppose the Rolls Royce is a little more obvious since it, it just kind of runs him down in the street. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's that true. is a good point. He's operating on a lot of levels here, guys. We should, we should. I mean, yeah, and, and the guy with his Ferrari or whatever, it's, it, and maybe it's a Lamborghini. I don't recall at this point, but anyhow, it's. Uh, he's always in in his garage, just just working on it. But when we say working on it, what he's actually doing is just rubbing a, a cloth under the left wing mirror of the car. <laughs> That's the, literally the only part of the car he ever touches at any point in the film. And his wife is accusing him of loving the car more than he does and eventually things turn violent because of the amount of time he spends with the car but literally he never touches and he just rubs underneath the left wing mirror <laughs> like a weird OCD freak and then he gets well, shot well that's because it was rental he, he couldn't exactly uh, get under the hood there to <laughs> take that thing back at the end of the day <laughs> yeah he could only touch the part that would not be on camera if you were filming it exactly <laughs> I don't. They did. They take money off of those fingerprints visible on the car when you <laughs> drop it back. So nobody will look under the left mirror. Yeah, it's just not done. I'm. You know. I'm really uh, interested too. In uh, we talked about how odd Neil Breen's idea of like love and intimacy is, uh, but I think equally asinine is 
the way that he views and portrays violence, specifically when it comes to guns, holy mm-hmm. shit. There's, so your movie is called Double Down, and it looks like it should be a big action romp. And there's only two scenes with actual guns in them. One is Neil Breen like, just shooting wildly into the air in the desert with blood spraying back at his face. And then the <laughs> other one is, I, I cannot figure this out, so I'm hoping maybe you guys can connect the dots here. That scene at the end where there's the guys by the train and they get shot... And then the one guy, like, puts a gun to the other guy's head and shoots him in the head? What is that? What is... Why, why, why are those people in the movie? What, why, why is there a train station? Why does the guy shoot his friend? Why doesn't the gun actually go off? He, like, doesn't even pull the trigger. He just, like, puts it up and Neil Breen hit gun noise on GarageBand. And- <laughs> I, it, it's insane. It's completely insane. Symbolism it's- and metaphor, Steve. That's all you need to know. What is it? But why are those characters even there? I don't know who those characters are. It's a testament to your mind that you can recall any scene from that deep into the movie. My mind was just like a soup oozing out my ear by that point. (laughs) Yeah, it it is difficult to recall. I mean, I Am Here Now features just a lot of random violence, too, because, I mean, it essentially depicts Las Vegas and, and I guess, the whole world in by as a corollary of of Las Vegas falling apart, yeah, uh, it just fe- features a world where I guess through people not devoting enough time and money and research to sustainable energy, um, the only jobs that are available in Las Vegas are apparently a scientist researching sustainable energy or prostitute or drug dealer. Those are your yeah. only options. And That's if they're it. not investing enough in sustainable energy, you have to become a drug dealer or a prostitute. <laughs> See, that checks out, though. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> that's Vegas. And, and if you become a drug dealer, you literally just stand around in what looks like a shanty town. I don't even know where he found this in Las Vegas. And they just you just carry a rifles and you just stand around and every so often you kill each other in arguments for no reason in front of the same abandoned house over and over and over again (laughs) and that's it and they just cut people's hands off and and they (laughs) and it falls down there's a bloody hand and there's not a lot of blood coming out of the hand and cut people's ear off and just before you cut their ear off he says please don't cut off my ear (laughs) yeah and Steve, Which is sound- a reasonable request. It is. Yeah. That sound you like from Double Down, Steve, and yeah. um, I am here now. He uses like the same yelling and pain sound effect like 19 times in that movie. Oh, my God. Anytime, anytime somebody is shot or their hand is cut off or they're <laughs> beaten, it's just always this sound. <laughs> There's, uh, I Am Here Now features probably one of the most brutal beatdowns I've ever seen in cinema. There's that one <laughs> Oh, God, yeah tied the guy up and they and like literally what they they literally a bunch of gang members surround him and they're all punching him together but they literally surround him in a perfect circle so this one dude who is just repeatedly i guess punching the guy in the back of the head and it's just it's really just odd and they all just they're all just laying into him full force and he's just kind of vibrating because i guess he doesn't know which order people are going to actually be hitting him in and he's trying to make it look like he's being beaten and this is a very very weird scene yeah, that, oh my god, that that is weird. And the camera is just, like, stationary and fixed on his face while we watch him get the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> yeah, oh my and, that's, god. and again, that's just another, and it's, they have just crooked lawyers and politicians stand around watching this happen, mm-hmm. because they're all, they're, they're all part of the same criminal problem, so they just all hang out together in the desert. 
Yeah. And then later on, can we talk about the darkness of Neil Breen films? Because this is the thing that always strikes me about his films. Um, he has always he, he government corruption is pretty common, and it's a common theme throughout almost all of his uh, all of his cinemas is uh, basically an extreme distrust of the government and a feeling that the government is is run by a, an elite few wealthy people who suppress information and so on to to their own criminal ends. And then he just has scenes where vengeance is meted out to these people because of the action of Neil Breen, obviously, as the, the fulcrum over which the universe turns. And um, his vengeance he reaps, is it just seems incredibly dark to the point where in uh, it's in Double Down, there's a scene where a man commits suicide because he's disgraced because of information that Neil Breen has revealed. And he... he commits suicide by shooting himself in the head to the sound of an audience cheering because yeah. he does it live at a press conference. That's the way it's, it's presented in the film. So he goes in a press conference, he commits suicide, and an audience just start applauding that, that action. And then in I Am Here Now, he literally, as God, uh, com- just crucifies six people in the middle of the desert Mm-hmm. Just and just leaves them there, and it's just this incredible. I mean, he's he's playing hardball in these movies in the way that he depicts how the government needs to be handled, how these corrupt people need to be handled. It's he's oh, yeah. not messing around. No, the last ten minutes of Fateful Findings too. It's very similar to Double Down. It's basically doubling down on Double Down's ending. It's <laughs> it's just a bunch of people who are just like. Hello, we represent the bank. We are corrupt, and then they just kill themselves. And it, it's it's the same thing too. It's a press conference, so they can announce that Neil Breen is awesome, and mm-hmm. then yeah, the the retribution is uh, these people are they just kill themselves publicly, and that's a In thing. Fact, that's, that's right. Maybe, maybe I'm mis- misremembering at this point. Maybe maybe the guy committing suicide to the sound of cheers and applause is in in Fateful Findings because they both end with similar. Yeah, similar I, elements. I, actually, I wouldn't be surprised if they both and if there's <laughs> applause in both of them. It, it is, is like Breen is kind of a bully. This could be like a prequel to Unfriended or something. I don't even. <laughs> he's just like shaming people into killing themselves. I'm kind of interested in what his like ethos is exactly. Like, it's not. It's, it's not really clear because what what I really enjoy about Neil Breen's scripts is that he he's a big fan of conspiracy. And he like he certainly seems to if his films are in to go by he believes in conspiracies that governments uh, like I say withhold information and so on but he doesn't seem to be particularly keen on details so when he uncovers conspiracies and when he uncovers secrets he's quite content to just say I have found secrets I will reveal the secrets and yeah, that's I don't even know he just seems as if he's I he abhors corporations and capitalism and, and greed and yet that seems entirely at odds with the very violent nature of, of the retribution yeah, well, it's like what is I, he I, is he just like wanting some sort of a violent revolution in the streets is that what breed is advocating through his film it's it's curious uh, yeah i mean he's he reminds me actually a little bit like say a bully i think steven seagal who's perhaps our greatest cinematic bully in his his on-screen persona uh, as best represented in, in On Deadly Ground, which is probably Steven Seagal's masterpiece in a lot of ways. It's it's just an incredibly confused film, almost as confused as a Neil Breen film, which is amazing because it costs surely far more. But On Deadly Ground, what's great about that movie is that it literally is Steven Seagal going around killing people to enforce pacifism. And that's it. Like literally, there's that whole scene, the hand slap game scene, where there's a guy like abusing a a, a 
whatever, an Inuit, I guess, or, or a, an Aboriginal of, uh, Eskimo. Uh, I'm not sure of the correct terms at this point. Um, and he's, he's racially abusing this guy, and, and Steven Seagal intervenes and has the hand slap game and basically beats the crap out of the guy while telling him that he needs to, you know, be peaceful and make peace with the earth and be friendly with everyone. Neil Breen seems to have the same kind of weird distinction of he's so awesome that no one can touch him. Like, double down, he goes to great lengths to describe how he just has uh, he has uh, secrets on everyone no one can touch him he's got satellites that inform him if anyone comes near his car to try to kill him so he can kill them first etc etc and uh, he just does all this stuff but he doesn't reveal anything to the populace he just he just hangs around waiting for people to come so he can kill them and that seems to be his whole thing he just seems to really enjoy being in charge because he's just really awesome at yeah, absolutely it would seem as if he has a huge problem with the surveillance state, except as it applies to him. Yeah, and it's, it's cool a, drone that to, he has. <laughs> he's he's immune to all of these things because he's he's enlightened and he has the technological know-how to harness those same systems and turn them back on the government. But it, there's no end game to these, other than for him to, at the end, I guess, of the film, turn to the audience in a horrible voiceover whatever and basically like we say just tell you the theme of the film which is you know you guys need to recycle more or you guys need to you know take like take care of the government but yeah i don't know what he means by taking care of the government or resisting the government he seems to believe that the government is uniformly corrupt but he doesn't really seem to have any alternatives proposed other than maybe living out of your car He goes he goes even further in Pass Through because in Pass Through he's also a godlike entity and he has these powers to essentially remove anyone he wants off of the planet. So if he sees anyone bad, he just makes them disappear. And then at one point he goes to a news station and he makes all the people in the news studio disappear and then he gives a whole speech where I'm assuming he addresses the entire world how he's uh, eliminated 300 million people from the earth and he will not take uh, government <laughs> secrets or control oh, any shit. further. What is yeah. he, fucking Slobodan Milosevic? <laughs> <laughs> this, those are Joseph Stalin numbers. <laughs> yes. Holy shit. Does it end with him looking in a mirror and making himself disappear? Because that would be pretty deep. No, but it yeah. doesn't go that far, but... <laughs> That that is amazing because that seems to be the yeah. end goal. I mean, it's this weird crypto fascist kind of substructure to his films, which is that he's enlightened to the point that he knows what's going on. No one else knows what's going on. He's always a lone wolf operator. Like he doesn't have any, he doesn't share like any responsibilities with anyone. He's totally on his own in the world against everyone. And yeah, he just meets out his own weird justice, which in this case apparently involves genocide. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Neil Breen. Where? Do, how does he escalate from here? I mean, Jake, <laughs> you're, you're the only one who's seen pass through, so you you've seen the full evolution of Breen. I know. Uh, I don't know. I called it in my review. I said he's achieved maximum Breen. I'm not sure what more he can do after this, yeah. but he's already got another project wor- that he's working on. So Jesus. we'll just have to see. That's exciting. What is amazing is he's managing to not succumb to the Wazo syndrome where he becomes like self-aware and he's not willing to acknowledge his work as anything other than genuine, which is beautiful. And it means we might have many years to come of him still creating quality material. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, mean, I think that's and that's a question because it's something like Wazo. I've I've always been curious about the room whether or not it's and there's this whole mystery behind its production. You know, it is Tommy Wazo. Is did he? 
re- is he really a guy who made this terrible movie, or is was it done on purpose? There's you know there's there's certain ambiguities there, and the mysteriousness of the Tommy Wiseau, the genuine mysteriousness that still the internet doesn't know where he came from, and the you know normally you'll this stuff will trickle out if if he's a guy fate pretending to be someone else, but it's it's really you know, kind of interesting, and it makes me wonder with Neil Breen, is, it, I don't get the sense, like, I, I just, I've never asked myself, is Neil Breen faking it? I really do feel his films are genuinely heartfelt films. I think he's, he really believes he's an artist uh, imparting yeah. information. Mm-hmm. And that's, that really is amazing. That's, I mean, that's why his films work. That's why his films are so entertaining because... Here's, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, just just because there is an earnestness to them there's a uh, there seems to be just a genuine belief mm-hmm. in the messages of the film even though the films have such the messages of each of his films are so muddled and awkward and stilted and repetitive and but each film just comes at you again as if just absolutely believes mm-hmm. well and and not only does he is he earnest and clearly believes in what he's doing clearly believes that he's making something great but yeah. unlike Wiseau, I think Neil Breen is also, and this is what makes him magical, and I would say more magical than Tommy Wiseau, Neil Breen thinks that he's doing something important. Like, very, that, very important. Exactly. He thinks he's doing the Lord's work by making these films, so much so that he's casting himself as God in his own films, and he's hoping to share, like, the corrupt and secretive nature of the government and politicians and all of this stuff so that audiences can become aware. And he summed it up nicely in my interview when I was speaking to him. He said at the end, it's, end of the day, it's all about humanity with a capital H. So he's, he's you know, fast becoming one of our finest humanist directors, I think. Um, uh, it's all about humanity and removing 300 million of them. Or <laughs> That's right. Some, it's all about just, destroying humanity. It's all about the good humanity, not the bad humanity, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. which is entirely dictated by Neil Breen. Okay, so. guys, we got to wrap this thing up. But instead of putting something over this week, I was thinking we should just say favorite Breen movie and favorite Breen moment. Jake, you want to start? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I hate to say pass through because you guys haven't seen it yet. <sighs> just um, making me want it more. Keep I know. it in, buddy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, uh, okay, I'm going to go with, I'm gonna go with um, Fateful Findings is my favorite. Mm-hmm. And then... My favorite scene is where he has to quietly get out of bed without making his wife wake up. So he like scoots out of the bed for like 30 seconds and then disappears off frame. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you remember that shot, but <laughs> it all just came flooding back to me. <laughs> uh, Jack, how about you? Okay, um, again, like like Jake, there's just so much to choose from. But the the one thing that has stuck with me in Breen Cinema is in Double Down. And Double Down, obviously, he posits himself as the greatest hacker and computer user in the world. He has this preternatural power over technology that he uses to his his effect. Um, And yet in the film, towards the end, he has a conference call involving a number of people. And the conference call is realized through him holding about three to four cell phones in front of his face at the same time. Oh yes, that that is so good. It just completely does not understand what a conference call is. It's it's incredible, absolutely incredible. Steve Coleman, how about you? Oh, my favorite movie is definitely. Um, oh God, I'm drawing a blank right now. <laughs> Fateful Findings. 
fuck. It's definitely faithful findings. My favorite Breen moment is him dropping the tune on his dick though in the car. Like that's just <laughs> nothing can ever compare to that because I don't think a moment like that could ever be recreated in any other film. That Specifically is- the way that that plays out. The introduction of the tuna. By far my favorite moment. <laughs> if I wonder, you know, if the DVD for Double Down, I wonder if it has like chapters and that's the title of that chapter, the introduction of the tuna. <laughs> tuna dick. <laughs> <laughs> Maros, how about you? Uh, I think my f- I'm I'm gonna go a, the Coleman route except reverse it because I think my favorite of his films is probably Double Down just because it is just remarkably absurd and disorienting. Uh, but my favorite moment hails from Fateful Findings and, and it's got to be the spinach. Oh, yeah. that, I, I have seldom <laughs> laughed <food>. harder <laughs> at anything in my life than than this spinach falling over. It, it's just. You'd have to see it. It makes no sense as to why it would be so funny, but it is just, just beyond belief. I'm just thinking, Stephen, is it fair to say that you can tune a piano, but you can't tune a dick? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's my favorite pornographic parody of an REO Speedwagon album. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, the, the Spanish thing, and again, testament to Neil Breen's artistry. I, I don't think there's a single working comedian or filmmaker today that can make a plate of spinach funny, but Neil Breen does it. It's incredible. <laughs> Boy, <I'm>, does he. <laughs> Boy, does he ever. Well, and uh, basically everything that happens in the office in Fateful Findings is, like, all the best stuff happens there. It's just, uh, like, I, this, Jim. Yeah. No more books. <laughs> no more books. I'm just going to do this on repeat. <laughs> no more books. <laughs> There are how many no like how many marks. times in Fateful Findings does he throw a book at a laptop or throw <laughs> a laptop? So he needs to make that supercut. <laughs> so it's amazing, and I would I would clarify for anyone, for for those listening if we've piqued your interest in Neil Breen. I think I think could we all agree that Fateful Findings is probably the the best entry point for Neil Breen? Oh, I think it's yeah. his most traditional yeah. movie. Yeah, it was my entry point. Yeah, sure. that's that's the gateway drug to Breen. It's it's definitely his most accessible, and it has some of the absurdest, funniest moments. I just I also want to say that when we describe him like throw like as if he hurls books or laptops, when in reality, it's supposed to be like anger, rage manifesting. But he he just kind of like limply limply pushes things over off of tables and it. it yeah, it's, it's just so it's passive good. and strange and off-putting. Yeah. It's, it's very one of carefully <laughs> done. Yeah, it's very carefully done because I think he, he has four laptops, four old laptops in Fateful Finding, and they're mm-hmm. all open on the desk at the same time, at all times. And he, he has to do stunts like throw a book at them when he's frustrated or angry. But I don't think he really wants to he's, – he's careful to not break them to the point that they would ruin continuity, I feel. Yeah. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's they, a very – They certainly don't work, but uh, no. I guess they have to have the appearance of potentially working. <laughs> well, they don't even have the, the appearance of potentially working. They, they, they're never turned on. He just types on like a blank screen. As he works on his amazing books because he's in an incredibly – uh, incredibly successful author, but yet he has a book no deal that he books. just backed out. <laughs> no more books. He will not write any more books. And it turns out in a phone call with his with, with a supposed phone call with a supposed uh, publisher that they don't contractually. He's not contractually obliged to write any books for his publisher while they try to lean on him to finish his next book. 
which I don't know what kind of contract he's got going on there. Yeah, that's a little strange. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, I. Oh God, Neil Breen, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I think oh. I, I gotta say, Faithful Findings, definitely my favorite Neil Breen movie. And if I had to choose, I mean, it's either this. No more books. Uh, or. <laughs> My other favorite scene, and it was actually a surprise because I feel like I Am Here Now is probably lesser Breen, you know? It's, it's, it's not essential Breen. It's still good Breen, but you should see the other ones first. But there's an amazing scene in I Am Here Now where two people who work at like the, the research lab or whatever are just standing outside talking, at, like they're on a cigarette break or something, and then their boss <laughs> walks outside and says... I'm sorry, the economy is bad. I have to let you both go. And they're like, oh, that sucks. And then they just go and become prostitutes. <laughs> like that is... they, they become escorts. But yeah, like I said, there's no, there's no in between. And they're both, no. apparently, she was a research scientist. Yeah. I have a, I have a follow-up favorite scene because you just reminded me, and I am here now. No it's more the... books. <laughs> it's the scene where those two said girls become prostitutes. And they go to a pool with that guy sitting there. Oh, yes. And, like, the two minutes of them trying to get onto the water rafts in the pool <laughs> is hysterical. One of it them falls magical. over backwards over it in the middle of the water. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff that I was thinking just uh, earlier, like the Alfred Hitchcock with the boring bits removed. It's just, that's the kind of thing a lesser filmmaker would have cut around on his in his film. But Neil Breen just, he just leaves the camera looking at these two girls just trying to get on those things and then later on they do later on they do a sexy dance that they they take their tops off in front of a for this guy and then they just awkwardly just hold their own breasts for a long while <laughs> an incredibly and, long period of time just to cover their nipples yeah and that's that's a Possibly the most sexually charged, one of the most sexually charged sequences in a Neil Breen film. So enjoy that. <laughs> oh God, Neil Breen is—he's an icon. He's a cinematic god, and he's someone who you need in your life. So my recommendation for you, dear listener, right now is go on YouTube. You can find Faithful Findings. You can find Double Down. You can find I Am Here Now. Uh, or I believe Fateful Findings is streaming in high definition on Amazon. And you can you need to watch these movies. Get yourself a six-pack. Have yourself a night of Breen. Settle in for the ride because mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be great. But I would not buy a DVD from Neil Breen. Don't ever do that. <laughs> that fucker. Uh, by the way, Steve, I just got to congratulate Dan Gilbert. You did it. You're the best. Oh, Cleveland won? They did it. There we go. This, He's this, the best. this officially dates the podcast. Uh, well, R.I.P. Uh, Anton Yelkin. Oh, oh yeah. That's a shame. That sucks. Yeah. Well, on that note, happy Father's Day, Tony. No more books. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs>